Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program during our Tour de France 2015 uh, event coverage of some sort. Spectacular. It is a spectacular, isn't it? Our Tour de France, spectacular. Yeah. I I feel pretty spectacular about it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So we are recording on uh, July 19th. Stage 15th has... 15th stage 15th stage 15 has just concluded um so we're going to be talking about everything from stage 10 to stage 15 because that's pretty much where we're at so we went into the pyrenees uh, after the rest day and now we're kind of on our way through various uh transition stages and we have uh kind of one more one more stage tomorrow that is kind of transitiony and then a rest day on tuesday so it's a good point at which to uh, discuss, wouldn't you say? I would say that, Greg. Would say <laughs> All right, good. That. I'm glad that you agreed with me. <laughs> this is this is a, this is a good time to discuss. Um, yeah, we we had the tour head into the Pyrenees, as you said, uh, and you know, as as I think always happens during a grand tour, you know, the the first week kind of leads to some people. Uh, losing time and we have a bunch of people high up on the GC who really have no plans to stay there and you you get to the first mountain stage and that's the first real shakeout and so uh, accordingly on Tuesday you know Chris Broom just put in a extraordinary effort uh, up the the final climb won the stage and that kind of uh, that that led to our first definitive general classification shakeout and while he didn't gain a whole lot of time uh, he had he had already been uh, in a favorable position due to a very consistent first week so that that kind of gave us the I think that laid the foundation for for the situation we're in now yeah yeah absolutely yeah because because you know from already had a anywhere from you know 12, 12 13 seconds to uh, a good couple minutes two and a half minutes on his his nearest rivals and uh really cemented that lead putting you know essentially another minute into uh into quintana uh a, a additional minute into uh or more actually into tj van garder and uh, and so on so the the i think the main shakeup from stage 10 there's just a, i don't know a couple probably the main notes to to make on that stage was that it was it was sort of interesting as a mountain stage because it was not all that mountainous until the last climb which was quite large um and steep so it was it was odd it was sort of hard to know what was going to happen until we got there and and there were some pretty substantial uh revelations one of course uh froom not entirely surprisingly uh basically rode away from everyone else with something like six kilometers to go uh quintana really moved up the standings uh brought himself within uh inside 20 seconds from tj van garderen uh so that was the top three and uh nibali uh went out the back and to a lesser extent so did contador in fact right yeah we're seeing those two struggle pretty hard um yeah, and then sure. the other thing that 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 really people took note of was, you know, not only did Chris Froome have such a, an emphatic performance on stage 10, but his two teammates, Richie Port and Gary and Thomas, uh, did as well, finishing second and sixth on the stage. And while this isn't entirely a surprise for Port, it's definitely a bit of a surprise for Thomas, who, you know, uh, kind of got his, got his start as a track racer, 
and then kind of like a, a time trialing classic specialist and has been sort of steadily losing weight and uh, gaining ability in climbs and in kind of uh, week-long stage races. But uh, that was uh, sort of his first um, particularly impressive Grand Tour performance. And, you know, this leads to, I think, one of the things that has been happening this week where, you know, and we're going we're gonna to have to go there uh, just a little bit, but we get a dominant performance and people start uh, reminiscing to the early 2000s and to the Lance Armstrong era and speculating about the possible enhanced performance of Chris Froome and Team Sky. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's sort of... Honestly, I think it's kind of hard not to not to make those comparisons. Uh, you, you know, it's just because yeah. there's this is just the history. The history of uh, of the sport is is that when we've seen something like this before, it's turned out not to be real. And you know, without making a firm declaration about that about that here, there's you know definitely that fear for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I I roll my eyes a little bit about it. I mean, you're you're entirely right about uh, what we've seen before and the sort of the history and the context. On the flip side, I have no desire to kind of have the attitude that um, winners are almost, uh, by by the virtue of winning, illegitimate. You know, like like the impossibility of a clean victor at all. So I, while I while I'm down with some healthy skepticism, I think some of the uh, some of the the very like polarized reactions that just insist that Froome and Sky must clearly be doping are probably um, overboard and unfortunate and kind of detracting from what what's what's actually going on, which is you know a big bike race in France. Sure, sure. Not just uh, not not just uh, outrage fodder. Yeah, and and it should be noted that you know lately this this always happens uh, that the guy who is is leading the race comes under uh speculations and insinuation uh at, at least um from sort of brad wiggins on in 2012 i don't think that there was a whole lot of speculation about cadell evans interestingly enough uh, though... i think he had some i think he had some tenuous ties to uh to some people ah. i forget i forget what but yeah okay well we'll leave that aside this is this is sort of a, a pretty standard <laughs> unfolding of of uh I don't know. As I said, ins- insinuations and suspicion—it's uh, kind of nothing new. Uh, the fact that Team Sky and and Froome and whatnot are are getting kind of very aggrieved and and angry about it is really nothing new. <laughs> you, you might think that they—I uh, don't know—would would sort of learn to cope a little bit better. Uh, yeah, yeah their PR the, is awful. <laughs> their PR is in their in their PRs is it must be said not helping um, the situation, not helping the mistrust. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, there are many places you can go both to find extremely kind of ridiculous and and hysterical takes on the situation from both sides, and you can also find pretty measured takes on the situation. Um, I would say my recommendation uh, to listeners is if you want to... I'm not really sure where to go for the kind of measured... It's, you know, try not to worry too much of it. Maybe, maybe cycling podcast, which is... Uh, a much more professional journalistic podcast that is on the 
the tour. Um, and if you want kind of a measured, uh, this is definitely cause for suspicion, um, then your guy is Ross Tucker at Science of Sport blog. Uh, so we can link to both of those. I think that they both make reasonable points uh, on somewhat different ends of the spectrum of uh, is this happening. And, and with that, if you have any last words, Maddie, we can we can probably move on from this question. No, that's it. That's a that's an that's an excellent summary. I, I think I think you know it, we needed to touch on it, and we should move on because there's been there's been a ton of really cool racing this week. Absolutely. Um, that I would like to touch on, and uh, I'm I'm sure you've also got some thoughts. Do you wanna? You want to drop some pearls of wisdom about what we've seen in these uh, three big mountain stages and a uh, handful of transition stages since since last we casted? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, first of all, we kind of mentioned this already, but we're seeing, I, I think, with Contador uh, that he's paying the price uh, for that Giro. There's been a lot of talk in the media around that, too, about what, what his uh, team manager, uh, a certain Mr. Oleg Tinkoff, uh, sort of thinks about this, that... It appears that um, they've kind of given up on him winning um, the race already, which is kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> the, the Boy, the way that team uh, kind of will just abandon fighting for its riders is a little shocking. Uh, <laughs> <with> its, <laughs> under under yeah. the current leadership. Yes, Oleg Tinkoff seems uh, particularly suited to, you know, some type of reality TV show about terrible bosses. Yeah. Oh, he's awful. He's he's that terrible. Said, that boss. said, you know, he so he's he's very demanding that his star riders win every single race all the time, which you know, uh, unrealistic. But I think Tinkoff Saxo is having a pretty terrific Tour de France. Oh, for uh, all that stage, yeah. stage eleven, Rafael Micah, who is kind of one of their young climbing prospects, uh, won very big, very mountainous stage. Unfortunately, uh, for Dan Martin, getting second behind him for. For another another stage, Dan Martin's got two second places uh, this Tour de France, and yeah. you know we, we've also got Peter Sagan who today at the end of stage 15 sprinted for fourth after having been in the break all day in order to accrue even more points toward his defense of his green jersey for leading the points competition. Sagan has won the points competition for three years running. It's looking pretty good that he'll win it again, and he's got he doesn't have any stage wins this tour, but he's got like a jillion top fives and i well and he's riding some people some people call that a failure and that's like yes winning is the best but it's crazy to me to call that a failure yeah i i have to agree with that what i think it's been pretty uh, pretty great to see is him really riding into breaks a lot uh, and really taking advantage of intermediate sprints to solidify that that lead in the green jersey so just today, he was in the break and got through the sprint point in that break and, and picked up some more points. <clears throat> so he's he's definitely not taking the green jersey competition as, as something to be won just in the sprints. He's kind of fighting for it on, on all fronts, uh, which is something yeah, and that I, only and he's and capable of doing, really. Yeah, he he's he's racing this to his strengths, and and this is a this is a big sprint field right now with Greipel, Degenkolb, Kristoff. Cavendish uh, and a handful of other other people who can certainly make things difficult for a rider like Sagan, who, while he can be very capable in field sprints and he can win field sprints, he's not a field sprinter. He's not a Marcel Cattell. He's not a Mark Cavendish. Uh, so you know he's he's taken the fight to Greipel, where uh, 
it's it's hard for Greipel to follow, and that is this is a very successful approach for him in the tour. Yeah, though it's, he is it's also working. more of a field sprinter, it seems this year than he has been in the past. He's been he's been really up there uh, as a you know as an actual kind of top three in, in a lot of the field sprints as opposed to in the past when he might be top ten. Mm-hmm. So that's that's been kind of interesting to see his his progression. So yeah, I, I think that for all that Contador is not really looking like a, a threat for the overall and and probably not the podium either. Uh, they're having a great performance, and and I also wanted to note, you know, as again as we, also as we mentioned, you know, Nibali going backwards and, and really seeming that it, it's becoming clear that he just doesn't have the form that he did last year. That he's not able to keep up really on the on the climbs like even even on small climbs like on stage 11 when Rafael Micah won uh, there was a relatively modest climb toward the end of that stage uh, and he he lost more time there yeah but he, he's also put in some kind of go down swinging attacks uh, on, oh, on stage 14 on the the god three kilometers at over 10 percent climb to uh Mend? Mond? Mond. I'm not sure how to pronounce that friend Mond. He, uh, you know, Quintana attacked the, the GC group and Nibali went with him and they got reeled in and Nibali got dropped. But, you know, for all of uh, for all of Nibali's poor performance this tour, he is is definitely uh, getting himself some camera time. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's what I think. And those of us who like who who, who like Nibali, who, who are at least to some extent fans of him, enjoy his go down swinging kind of attitude. He is a he's a fighter for sure. He's. Not pulling a well, not pulling a Pino, uh, <laughs> and saying, "Well, it's over." Though he also did a, a good job of riding himself into the break on stage fourteen uh, for that difficult yeah, final and, climb. And again, yeah, on that same final climb, Thibaut Pino and uh, Romain Bardet went away from the breakaway that they were with, uh, and and this set the stage for. If this isn't, I, I think this tour has has given us a lot of really exciting finishes. And I think we might remember stage 14 as really taking the cake because oh, yeah. as they crested the final climb, uh, they they sort of tried to fall into a rotation on this, like, what, kilometer and a half descent to the finish line? Yeah. And the camera moto catches them both kind of, like, like not quite cooperating, not to the point where it's full-on, like, side-to-side weaving across the road or anything. But they were Frenching uh, it up pretty good. They were Frenching it up a little bit. And Stephen Cummings of MTN Quebeca has apparently been climbing to, you know, limit his losses over the crest and just gets in time trial mode over over the crest of that climb, catches them, blows right by them, rips the final two or three corners in the last kilometer and just uh, wins the stage from the front of this small group in totally <laughs> badass style. It was a amazing. big day for MTN Kubeka being an African registered team, and it was Mandela Day, so that's uh, oh yeah, epic like storybook stuff. It was, and it was amazing too because we the entire time you know the camera is on Bardet and on Pinot kind of making their way over the top of this climb and then starting working on this climb, and you never on the entire. The entire climb, you never saw Stephen Cummings because everyone in the break was attacking and, and showing off their climbing chops. And presumably he's down there at the back just kind of chugging his way up this climb, uh, all time trialist style. And yeah. according to him, pretty much uh, went as hard as he could from uh, a kilometer from the top. Uh, and then, yeah, all of a sudden he was in the camera and, and on these guys' wheels and just went, went right by them and never... Uh, 
never rotated with them after that just just rode from the front and it's not like he just rode through them and and away from them they were close but they were just completely unable to get a handle on him and uh control him and one of the things that Cummings said in the in his interview after the stage was uh there's no way that two climbers are going to be able to hold the wheel of a trackie through <sighs> through corners like that right steve cummings a a, a team pursuer from uh the Great Britain track cycling team. Yeah, some years back. Yeah, absolutely. So MTN Quebec actually is one of the ones worth noting. They, this team has completely justified uh, their inclusion in the tour, like and then some. They are riding so well. They've been in so many breaks. Obviously, they had um, they had the King of the Mountains jersey with uh, Daniel Teklahimanot. Uh, difficult name to say, but there you go. Also, so much fun to say. So much I love fun the to cadence say. of it. Uh, seems like a yeah, and he's he's an exciting um, rider. Also, the uh, one of the is it two first uh, black African riders in the Tour de France. So just it's really fantastic uh, to see their performance, and, and they've been outperforming a lot of the bigger teams, really. When not it comes down and to it. and and not only that, but we saw them mixing it up in the sprint today, in stage fifteen, and uh, Edvald Bosenhagen finished fifth. Yeah. Yeah, which is like you know he he used to really kind of reckon with field sprints in, in a little bit more than a fifth place sort of way, but seeing him back after kind of a bunch of quiet years mm-hmm. or like a bunch of really maybe underperforming years given given the promise that he initially busted out with four or five years ago. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's cool. So they're having a they're having a great tour. Uh, we yeah. might want to back up a bit to stage thirteen, which is also tremendously exciting. Uh, just Ugh. so much good, so much good racing. Another transitional stage. Uh, so much good racing in this in this tour in this week, where we had a break that was out um, and, and a finish on top of the Cote de la Selve. Uh, I think that's how you say it. <laughs> Cote de la Selva, uh, Cap Four climb. Really pretty steep, a little bit twisty, short. Um, oh no, sorry, it, it's not a categorized climb with the finish. That that was earlier in the class in, in the race, I think. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to dig up my profile for this now. No, sorry, it was the finish in uh, Rodet uh, on an uncategorized climb, but nonetheless one that was pretty stiff. Uh, yeah, short, short and stiff, which is just you know, the tour has has stuck some some really excellent, exciting finishes. Yeah, absolutely. So and and with so break coming into this climb and trying to hold off uh, the peloton and just ultimately. Uh, Greg Van Avermeet kind of jumping away from the field really early, and and Peter Sagan again, uh, just ridiculously versatile racer, getting on his wheel. And I think everyone thought, because I know I thought it looked like he was just, you know, going to uh, basically that he had Greg Van Avermeet's number on this, and that he was yeah. just going to stuff him in the last fifty meters. <laughs> and it looked but like... uh, but but no dice. I mean, it was no. that was a hard finish, and uh, he just could was just was just really pounding the beef up this <laughs> this punchy little climb, this this sort of brief little gentle leveling off, maybe even downhill. I, I, he you know he was he was like in the drops sprinting for a good I don't even know minute oh and a half. God. It was it, it was so it was something brutal. that just that just looked. You could feel your legs burning just watching this finish. Oh yeah, and they're both grimacing and just they're kind of just turning the pedals over the the super tired victory salute you know we're like oh i have to i have to break my arms up now too (laughs) yeah exactly Um, and and of course the the joke going around the internet is you know van avermet and sagan 
racing for for the honors they'll both finish second on this stage but uh but no van avermet van avermet won out he's you know he's always knocking at the door of a lot of big stuff it's cool to see him take his first tour de france victory yeah stage victory and and weirdly one of one of the biggest victories of his career yeah uh, just because he's been perpetually in second or third place he's a, a podium presence but yeah, it was, it was nice. Speaking, to see. speaking of podium presences, you know, John Degenkolb uh, got fourth place on that stage, on stage 13. And fourth place seems to be where he has been lingering for a lot of this tour. Yeah. He's not, he's not won a stage. I, I'll say this too. I picked him for my Velo Games team because I mm-hmm. thought, you know, with all of the like kind of lumpy, chunky finishes, that, that he would be a really solid uh, threat uh, to reckon with a bunch of stage victories. And he has not cracked through. No. Today, stage 15 was perhaps his best bet. Uh, he got second. It looked like he was overtaking Greipel, but the camera foreshortening totally fooled me. Greipel won the stage. Degenkolb got second uh, in front of Christoph and Sagan. Yeah, so I, I wonder if Degenkolb is just a little bit short of his best form. Because I would have I would have anticipated him to do to have won a stage by now. For sure. Me too. Me too. And the same comment goes for Kristoff, who's been uh, relatively quiet, though Katusha has obviously been working pretty hard for for his uh, for his yeah. sprints. Yeah. Yep. Katusha's really not been much of a. No, I mean that's not. I mean he's been up there a couple times, but but yeah. But 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 that's it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. He's, he's been up there a couple times, but that's it. He's really not been on the level of of even sort of uh, your Peter Sagan in the bunch of and of course Greipel winning again today. Just so many people, I think. Three stage wins this tour. Yeah, so many people, I think, had written him off as a sprinting presence, and he's just come roaring into this Tour de France, just completely on fire, so fast, uh, and is just crushing it. And is is still in with a shot at that green jersey. He's he's got a shot. He's I would I would call it an outside shot, but he's got a shot. Sure. Yeah. So here's here's something else that. my eye is drawn to, and that's that uh, Lotto Sudal's puncher, Tony Galapan, is lurking in the general classification at ninth place. And he is not a an out-and-out climber by any means. But he's having a very, a very solid tour uh, and climbing quite respectably. And he's looking like he could solidify himself a top 10 if he can hang in the Alps a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. That's been it's been interesting to watch. He hasn't been looking quite. I don't know. Usually, I think of him as being a little punchier for the stage yeah. wins. Um, yeah, absolutely. But he's been kind of he's been sort of chugging along. Uh, yeah, and and doing pretty really quite well for himself. Uh, Robert Hessink, as long as we're talking about GC riders, and that's just it's just nice to see him riding well again. Finally, uh, and, yeah, and uh, putting in a good ride, and yeah, he's a solid rider and had. Uh, just man some really bad luck for the last several years just really sad sad and and difficult things you know his 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 father died unexpectedly uh he broke his leg he turned out to have a heart condition that needed treatment it was just like man this guy can't catch a break so it's it's been nice seeing him him climbing high Uh, yeah he's also he's also the kind of rider who kind of like it, it always seems that he's trying to make his career exclusively on throwing his luck at the Tour de France every year. Mm. And and that's so difficult. You know, we've talked about how uh, how crazy and chaotic a, a three-week-long Grand Tour is and how 
how much needs to accidentally go right in order to have a good ride. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when you, and you, you know, when you look at, he's just not, he's not that top tier GC guy. And I think that there were there were thoughts when he was earlier in his career, more like like in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, that he might mature into sort of a top tier GC rider, and that's not looking like it's going to pan out that way mm-hmm. for him. So he 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 like many other people, I think, on Lotto and El Yumbo are uh, are are capable opportunists. You know, guessing uh, Wilco Kelderman, Lawrence Tendam. Uh, they're very good riders. A lot of them, uh, well, Kelderman and Tendam had pretty disastrous first weeks, so they were resigned to stage hunting. Yeah. But, but you know, they're 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 looking for opportunities, and they'll 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 make them and find them. So so looking a little further up the GC, another <laughs> another name I'm a little surprised to see as high as he is is uh, Alejandro Valverde. I got a rant about Valverde. Yeah, man. I figured you would, which is why why I brought it up. Um, so, boy, he's only he's only about thirty seconds behind uh, T.J. Van Garderen right now. So definitely looking like a threat for the podium. So what what do you think about Alejandro Valverde, Matt? Hill? I think he's super irritating, <laughs> and and like I I'm not entirely sure like why, except I think that he he feels like a kind of toxic holdover from a a very you know messy era of cycling and it it bothers me that he's still as good and as competitive as he is yeah um i i would like to see him retire and another indication of that era go away but then the other thing is that this tour he is he is very much racing like a privateer and uh has seemed all too willing to distance uh his at least likely more than nominal team leader Nairo Quintana. Yeah. Uh, and and yesterday on, on stage 14, Quintana put in an attack. Quintana attacked Froome. Nibali went with him. And it was Valverde who chased them down. And it, it almost looked as if he was chasing them down for Chris Froome. I have to wonder what what the uh, atmosphere on that team bus is between Quintana and Valverde because he's seemingly not done uh, a lick of work for Quintana and and even actively kind of sabotaged uh, sabotaged him as like when he was he was chasing on uh, yeah the Cote de la Croix uh, Neuve so yeah it, and yeah you know like in in i don't remember if it was the crosswinds or the cobbles or what happened last week in the tour it's so easy to forget after a few days but you know he he found himself in a split in front of quintana and was hap- happy to work in it and happy to to drive this split and it's like what yeah. what is going on with this guy who is like obviously kind of not not racing on the same page as his team yeah it's i i find that I don't like Valverde because of the, I don't know, that uh, he's got that gross kind of, I don't know, doping-related taint on him where he just is completely unrepentant and, and doesn't care and is still, you know, annoyingly uh, strong <laughs> and successful. Um, but yeah. even more than that in this tour, it's it's that kind of plus uh, his, his unwillingness to really kind of buckle down for a teammate who really has a much better chance of actually finishing on the podium though 
Yeah. Valverde is shockingly close to Quintana. But I think that with the Alps coming up, that uh, Quintana is probably going to pull away from Valverde. And, you know, we're also, I'm personally hoping that Quintana is going to pull away from Froome a little bit and uh, have a good crack at a stage win, at clawing back some time. I think this would really help make the tour uh, very exciting. You know, after that after that uh, first mountain stage, uh, stage 10, when, when Froome put, you know, one to three minutes into a bunch of people, mm-hmm. there was some there was some cluck clucking, like, all right, well, is the tour over? Hope not. Um, and yeah, I'm still going with, I hope not. I hope not. He's definitely in the... Uh, you know, Pyrenean stages since then. He's he's looked less um, less dominant, less powerful. Right, and and it ought to be said too that you know stage ten followed a rest day and a team time trial, so you know he was fresh as hell for that for that move. Yeah, well, of course, in theory, so should everyone else have been. <laughs> but yes, well, <laughs> but sometimes people get kind of blocked up, whatever. But it, it wasn't just the people were going slow. He was he was much faster than everyone yeah. else and this is actually part of why there was this whole doping controversy is because um he put in a a, a, a an amount of uh, power and, and, and a climbing speed going up that that was really pretty pretty high but you know yeah. enough about that for now um yeah i i think that we'll we'll see in the alps how he's doing it's it's difficult to judge on the subsequent mountain stages because really we've had nothing else kind of on the level of the finish at lapierre saint Martin, um which was Mm -hmm. what which was stage 10 but he didn't he was able to put one second into quintana um on stage 14 sprinting for the line oh god it was it was really yeah it was not cool but and, and it was also really unpleasant to watch because watching Froome sprint is just like, I don't know, watching a tarantula give birth or something. It was really bad. It, it's sort of like in, in, in Lord of the Rings when when the hobbits kill that big spider yeah. up in the mountains. Yeah. I'm sorry for not remembering which. Shelob. It was Sam or Frodo. Yeah, thank you. And it was, uh, it, and it was Sam know. who, right, because Frodo was all Yeah, like, it was Sam. Up. Sam stabbed, yeah, and and the the spider just like had all of this like like muscle spasming joints collapsing kind of shaky yeah. death, and that's what Chris Froome looks like when he sprints or does anything else on a bike for that matter. <laughs> yeah, so he he looked. I don't know if I would say vulnerable, um, because it, it wasn't that hard for him to get back uh, to Quintana's wheel, but you know he he wasn't he didn't immediately respond. And and he had to do it, you know. He didn't have Port or Thomas there to do it. Yeah, he was alone at that point, and that was interesting um, for sure. Yeah, Gary and, and Thomas, by the way, riding very very well. I yeah. think we mentioned that already. Uh, but but I, I I will note on that, um, you know, Gary Thomas has always been marked as someone who's really talented. So there is that um, to consider. That it is it is surprising and also not surprising. He's had some good rides in mountain stages in the past. Um, it, it is a little maybe surprising, I guess, to see him emerge as, as kind of the, the guy on the front uh, in these stages. But, you know, he's he's always been a talented. He's sort of in the Wiggins mold, really, uh, of, of being a really good track rider who, you know, slimmed down and, and focused on longer longer races and longer duration efforts and turned out, hey, he's a pretty good climber, too. Yeah, a, a huge engine who can be molded. Right, right. So yeah, I, I don't know any more. Any maybe it seems like we're 
kind of wrapping up, I don't know, our summary, our disjointed we're, summary. We're, of we're wrapping up our summary and we're, we're looking to the future a little bit. We've got uh, Monday, we've got another stage that should be, I think, exciting for attacks from the Peloton. There is a Category 2 climb over the Col de Mans, followed by... Just a uh, descent maybe, into Gap. Yeah, ten, a 10-kilometer 10 descent into Gap. So that I think that'll be a pretty pretty exciting finish uh and then after that we've got a rest day and then four days in the alps that conclude with uh saturday going up the alpe d'huez and geez four days in the alps you know i'm so torn on alpe d'huez on the one hand i'm so sick of it it's so overrated <laughs> and on the other hand it's like yeah okay it's like one of the classic climbs and everything but it, it, i don't know <laughs> i find it a little weird it's it's especially lately they, they used to have it pretty regularly but not like all the time and now it feels like it's in the tour every single year uh, kind of they, they seem to like flip back and forth between naltuez and mont ventoux yeah i suppose that's true bit. i suppose that's Between true. kind of iconic uh climbs but yeah we've got some really some big days coming up and some some big climbs so uh yeah really big climb with the cold London that's going to be on stage 18 and oh boy stage 19 is going to be a doozy for sure <laughs> so yeah i choose for listeners who might be wondering where to get the information i choose uh, steephill.tv and if you click on tour de france they've got kind of a list of the stages with the profiles the maps the timetable they've got links to preview results photos and videos and everything so it's easy just to go and, and click through uh some of the profiles and yeah greg you just mentioned stage 19 and that yeah. one that one it's it's short it's only uh 138 kilometers it starts right off with a category one climb like no flat yeah. just just uh, you know 15 kilometers up to a category one summit uh and then follows that up a uh, short while later with an oris category climb a pretty quick category two climb and then a descent to the base of another category one climb so just holy crap that's one where you know people are going to be warming up on rollers before that uh oh yeah before that one so i i would say that stage 19 is probably the stage to not miss oh yeah because they're going to get to uh la Toussure, um and they're going to be pretty ragged <laughs> yeah and, I, and these short stages are fun because uh, guys just go really hard on them so it makes for some very uh energetic racing i just people <laughs> just go bonkers from the gun yeah I, just on a smaller scale i just had a race like that yesterday the race that would normally be is a cat three race like 60 miles but the course had to be altered so it was a single a single 40 mile lap that started with uh two uh like nine percent uh three and four minute climbs immediately following each other <laughs> and oh boy <laughs> that's that's the kind of thing that Oof. just you really want to warm up before you do it it uh it really hurts to be going up um a, a big steep climb you know less than five miles after you start a race so. <laughs> see my, my my memory of the classic course of hill towns is you know it kind of starts off with like a 15 or 18 mile like gradual descent and then it just hits you at the base of like a 15 minute climb yeah yeah that's so that climb is not so this is um <laughs> off the tour de france this is the classic new england uh, road race the tour of the hill towns in western massachusetts and uh they they did in fact alter the course starting uh a couple years ago um where now or or i maybe it was one year last year where 
it used to start off with, as Matthew says, a, a very long descent and then a massive climb, um, thousand something foot climb at something like eight <laughs> percent. Maybe not that steep, but but pretty steep but climb and <laughs> unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's been altered somewhat. It starts off in the in the valley now and uh, hits two two nasty, very steep climbs, and then kind of a longer, uh, more gradual climb that goes up onto the same plateau. Uh, and it's still very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, a mere a mere tidbit of what uh, riders in in the Alps are gonna get to deal with. This it week. is it is actually probably I, I will say as long as we're talking about it, it is one of the few uh, amateur road races you can do in certainly in New England and and, and even in the country that really b- bears any resemblance to the kind of climbing that uh, professional riders might do, albeit. It should be said that what you do as an amateur is much shorter, uh, mm-hmm. typically, though. Fortunately. Not, yeah, fortunately, right? <laughs> Some, I can't imagine 180 miles over something like that, but... Ah, nope. <laughs> but when, when, they'll, when they'll do that, uh, when they'll do the kind of Pro 1-2 version of this race, nor, you know, it was two laps of this course today, so they did about 80 miles, but it will probably be... It'll probably be when they, because uh, they, they didn't want to have to do the course this way, it will probably be a, a 30 to 35 mile lap next year and more like 60 to 70 for the, you know, category three riders and, and probably more like ugh, 90 or 120 for the pros. Yeah, that's just unpleasant. Yeah, it's it's a long day. <laughs> said said the tracky slash crit racer. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Anyway, enough about that. People don't want to hear that. What they want to hear about is... The Working Man's Fantasy Bicycle League, uh, VeloGames.com standings, and it is right now. It is a tight, tight competition. There are maybe two hundred points in it between uh, Cogs and Inches. Mike Mike's uh, Cogs and Inches uh, leading at four thousand ninety-six points, and Jenny's Team Hot still hanging in there on the podium somehow uh, with three thousand nine hundred eleven. Yeah, so Jenny, Jenny's team had uh, Cancellara and Tony Martin, who obviously both went out. She's got Thibaut Pinot, who's not having a good tour. Nibali and Fuglesong not having a great tour. Rigoberto Uran, who's earning points, although not having a great tour. But it's really uh, anchored by Peter Sagan, who is the Velo Games leading point scorer with uh, 1,405 points, which is a good 50% more than uh, the next person, Chris Froome, who's got just over 1,000. So, like it's it's looking like it's going to be hard to have a good Velo Games team if you don't have Sagan on it, which in hindsight is obvious. Yeah, I feel pretty stupid for not putting him on my team, as a matter of I, fact. Yeah. Now, my you know my my personal uh, my personal Velo Games strategy tends to be to try and pick uh, less likely scenarios for good performances that, if they pay off, will pay off stunningly. Well, how's that working for you, Matteo? It's not it's not working super well right now. I'm going to be <laughs> totally honest with you, Greg. It's not working out super well. I you know I picked Kwiatkowski uh, for for one of my sort of all rounders, kind of assuming that in the first week and a half he'd have a ton of opportunities to 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 hunt some stages. You know he he's a climbing puncher, um, but no, he's been on total team duty, messing around in a couple breaks, but not really having a good shot at stage finishes. Um, Degen Kolb, you know, Mr. Fourth Place, Dan Martin, two second places, and a couple of people who are just doing nothing for me back there. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, Jenny's team, Team Hot, 
Um, still doing strong despite the loss of a bunch of people. And uh, Mike's team, Cogs and Inches, everyone, almost everyone is earning points in that team. So that is a kind of surprisingly uh, very well-rounded team. Absolutely. And I, I've been following sort of a similar strategy to you, I think, uh, of trying to, trying to, I don't know, trying to be clever, which it turns out maybe maybe being overly clever is not the best strategy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I picked uh, some kind of outsiders who I think are, are solid riders, you know, kind of rulers and climbers. Uh, like uh, I've got Ramunas Navardowskis on the team. and uh, Who finally earned some points today. He did finally order some. Seventh place finish or that's something. That's right. He did earn some points. I've got uh, Jeremy Raw. He got me a few points the other day. But, you know, I've also... It has worked out in some cases. I picked uh, Zdenek Stibar for my team. And he, he did get me that stage win. Uh, so that was nice. But he, he's still, you know, not at all the highest uh, scorer on, on my team. But, you know, I've also got uh, guys like uh, Lawrence Tendam. <laughs> uh, yeah, people who you're, you're hoping are going to, you know, mess around and some... Well, I've got guys who crashed. Get... It's the guys yeah. who crashed but are still in the race, which is kind of... I don't have any abandons in my team yet, which is interesting. That's I've good. got Lawrence Tendam and I've got Michael Matthews and... Uh, Michael Matthews is coming alive a little bit, but I, I, I think that his chances of uh, scoring anything in, in this race are now essentially gone. I don't think that there's anything left that favors him. Uh, no, the, no, indeed. The kind of sprinty uphill stuff uh, that he could have been good at, I, I think the stage 13 into Rodet was a good example, uh, and, and he just wasn't up to that. And, you know, the, the remaining kind of stage that's not too hilly for him is uh, Champs-Élysées, and he's, that's too flat and fast for him so yeah i don't think he can really reckon in a in a all-out field sprint no no not at all so it's i feel the need to <laughs> i feel the need to also give a hat tip to our lantern rouge uh ninja man who uh has, has scored a few more points than peter sagan has <laughs> um but having picked uh nibali yeah, and Gardarin, Bardet. Uh, you know, we we have a couple of point scorers here, but but no major ones, and a bunch of people sure. who are just kind of kind of tanking it. Uh, I I almost picked one of the Yates as, as well, um, but they're not really quite having the kind of point earning tour. And then mm. uh, Perot, Matthews, DeGent, Hansen, Pino, just just not really raking it in the way you need to in order to be competitive in a sport like fantasy cycling indeed well and it must be said that as far as the competition the competition between uh you and your team and my team so uh zubas and sperry topsiders uh, and team mm-hmm. science uh <laughs> it was it was looking it was looking close for a little while but in in this second week uh zubas and sperry topsiders has has pretty decisively uh moved ahead in the classification whereas i am languishing uh, fifth from the bottom <laughs> without without a whole lot of prospect of much improvement as the race goes on uh, so <laughs> whereas much like uh, much like Robert Hessink <laughs> Zubas and Sperry Topsiders continues to climb it continues to climb and plot around in the middle of the field that's right so so good on you um, jerk uh, so we should <laughs> How dare you pick better, make better choices than me in a fantasy cycling game? Uh, <laughs> all right, well, well, sir. Yes, with that, it's uh, probably time to wrap it up. Uh, we've got a lot to look forward to. We've got one more uh, Tour de France show, and then I promise we'll be back to just being regular 
uh, Dirtbag uh, Bike Racing Podcast, talking about our Dirtbag Bike Racing thoughts and experiences. We promise, uh, yes. And, and not trying to compete with the likes of, of professional cycling podcasts uh, that talk about pro racing, but, you know. And do, like, audio editing and crap like that. Well, I do some audio editing. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, you know, and a little bit. But but yeah, so so uh, hope you're enjoying it. Uh, it's it's still fun for us, that's for sure. Um, I'm also definitely looking forward to getting back to our regular our regular thing. So yeah, stay tuned. It's going to be an exciting race. Don't miss don't miss the last week. I, I think there's going to be still some uh, some shakeups to come. The last week is often where um, people's uh, races are really made or broken. Yep. Don't miss the last week. Don't get too frothy about performance-related doping allegations just yet. Uh, have a good time in the Alps. Watch bike races on the internet when you're supposed to be at work. All that good advice. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Au revoir. That's French. <laughs>